Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hey, Brittany. Hi, Connor. We've talked about many times throughout history where our government, quote unquote, our government, (laughs) uh, the United States government has done terrible things to people. Uh, things that we get mad at other countries for doing. We look elsewhere to, you know, dictatorships or communist countries or others, and how dare they, and that's an injustice. But, you know, some of these things have been done here at home as well. Sometimes these things, I think, are very, they're very sad. They're very hard to hear. But it's important for us to understand that they happen in order to make sure that they don't happen again. As our listeners and readers know, we often talk about that those who don't learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. So if we don't want the mistakes and problems of the past to happen again, we not only need to learn about history, in other words, what stuff happened, but we need to learn from it. We need to know what were the lessons, what were the ideas, uh, so that we can make sure that these things don't happen again. So today I want to talk about one of those things, one of those sad, (laughs) uh, unfortunate instances of American history, and that is the internment, or you might say imprisonment, of Japanese Americans during World War II. Uh, I was with my family a couple months ago in Hawaii, Honolulu, and we toured Pearl Harbor, uh, where uh, it was an American military base, And that was the so-called day of infamy when uh, Japanese forces attacked at Pearl Harbor, a whole bunch of boats. A lot of people died. Remember, the Japanese had these, you know, kamikaze planes and they would just fly into these boats and they would they develop these special uh, bombs that could they could drop them in the the shallow water of the of the uh, the bay there, the harbor. And and then those, you know, bombs or or missiles could then uh, kind of be propelled through the water to go then hit the boat. And uh, so it was, it was really interesting to be there and to learn a lot about that. But what was very fascinating to me was the the part of the various museums and history where they were talking about the reaction, what happened after the attack. And one of the things that happened was that Americans became very suspicious of anyone with Japanese descent. And there in Hawaii, uh, you know, it's a it's a mix of racial uh, uh, different races from especially, you know, East Asia. And there were a lot of Japanese people there. And so both there in Hawaii, but all across the mainland, Japanese people or people with some uh, Japanese uh, heritage were suspected of potentially being, um, uh, you know, colluding with or supportive of the Japanese government who had just attacked the United States of America and this grave thing. You know, we can talk separately about the actual attack, the fact that uh, it it was ultimately likely um, an attack that the president of the United States let happen. Uh, He and his team were aware of some of the preparations leading up to it. And what was interesting about this at the time is that Americans did not want to go to war they had you know, been through World War I. They said, this, this new war is not our war. We're not going to send our boys to fight. Uh, FDR, who was the president, even campaigned on that. He was publicly promising, we're not going to send your boys to war. We're not going to do this. And, I didn't uh, know but, that part. That's interesting. Yeah, but he and his, uh, 
cabinet, his administration, they wanted to get America involved. Any politician in power knows that the greatest way to become popular and to uh, get even more power is war. There's no better time for the government. Uh, uh, what was it Randolph Bourne or who said this? Uh, war is the health of the state. Um, yeah, I believe it was Randolph so, Bourne. And so uh, FDR was was uh, aware that this was happening and basically did not uh, alert the local commanders in Hawaii. And then so, you know, claimed later, oh, this was a surprise attack. And how dare they? And of course, then the American public shifted from being opposed to the war to now demanding justice. Right. And we need to go fight. And so that's exactly what uh, FDR and his buddies all wanted. And so these are some of the games that are afoot. Uh, at the time. So then now FDR is in dealing with the aftermath and he signs what's called Executive Order 9066. Brittany, do you want to talk about what that executive order did? Yeah, um, this is pretty outrageous. Every time I, I relearn this, it's it's crazy. So nine or the Executive Order 9066, it said that every Japanese American had to be rounded up and put into camps, and they were all on the West Coast. So I think actually Utah. Didn't Utah have some? We had one camp here too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So they were literally imprisoning. There's really no other way to say it. Japanese Americans of all ages. So this isn't just adults. This is families. In fact, I think it was one third of the people, and there was 120,000 who were sent to the 10 camps wow. they had in the West. One third of those people were school kids, just like our listeners which I think is just, it's just crazy, especially when they had so many crazy things going on in Europe where people were being sent away to camps and then we were doing it here. Um, and they were camps into three categories and I'm going to say these words completely wrong. Isei, <laughs> which is um, people who had immigrated from Japan. And then Nisei, again, I'm saying these so wrong, I apologize. People whose parents were from Japan, but they were born in the US. So think about that. That's crazy to me too. Even if you were born here, but your parents were born in Japan. You were sent to the camps. In fact, I meaning, think there was a meaning you're an, you're an American citizen in that. You are instance. an American citizen, so this is not just people who had just come over from Japan. And then uh, sensei, what, sensei, again, I feel so bad butchering these words. And that's third generation. So that's like your parents were born in America. You were born in America, but your grandparents. Think about it. You have no real connection. I mean, you you may have gone to Japan and visited at the places where your you know grandparents grew up, but you don't really have like that's not where your friends are. That's not where you went to school. You don't know Japan. That's not your home. You grew up in the United States, and your parents grew up in the United States, but you're being shipped away to a camp. I mean, I that to me, I can't even, I can't even imagine. I think there was a, a the show Star Trek wasn't that the show with the there was an actor who was on that show who was a kid in the camp. I can't remember mm. his name. I can't remember his name. He's he's famous. He's he does not agree with us on ninety oh, yeah, nine percent of that's issues. Very kind of democratic now and very uh, democratic. Sulu Sulu was his name in uh, Star Trek, but I don't remember his. Yeah, I can't remember name. his name. He's funny. He's a funny guy. But um, but yeah, like that. So that just really gets me because I think of like being in it. Like imagine you and I, Connor, being Americans moving to Europe and then being rounded up and put in a camp because we were, you know, because we're, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And let's talk about like what a camp means and what that looks like. So they were out in the West, obviously. And it was just like, I don't know how to explain the buildings. Were they like bungalows? What's a word to describe it? They were barracks, little maybe. barracks. Like, barrack is yeah. a good way to say it. Um, a barrack and families, like if you had five people or maybe more in your family, you were all sharing one bedroom 
And then you shared bathrooms with other families who were sharing one bedroom. And they set up like little makeshift schools for kids that was kind of it almost felt like what are they like doctrination camps, even though I guess we could call all schools doctrination camps, <laughs> but where it was like, like trying to make sure these kids knew how great America was, you know, all this stuff. And it's funny. It's like, that seems like if you were being thrown at a camp and taken away from your neighborhood, you might not be in the, the best mood to think that America was the best country ever at that point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they had bland food. The living accommodations were not great. So, I mean... I can't imagine the anger I would have towards the government when that happens. Well, you're literally, these are the things people get scared about today. And it's like, oh, this will never happen. But it happened and it lasted for two years. Well, what's interesting to me, uh, several things about this, but in 1982, there was a congressional report. Uh, it was called Personal Justice Denied. And in the report, it said that this internment corralling all these Japanese people, as you mentioned, even like third generation and all this, right? The report said that this imprisonment was due to, quote, race prejudice. So being being kind of discriminating based on race, which isn't a surprise. Obviously, they were targeting just uh, Japanese people. And then they continued war hysteria and a failure of political leadership. So this study found that the forced imprisonment of Japanese Americans was based on the false premise of military necessity, even though, as the report found, and as I think everyone kind of understood, there was no evidence at all of Japanese American spying or sabotage no, during yeah. New York. Because that was the worry. They were like, oh, we were just attacked and it was a surprise, so maybe it's going to happen again. So we need to round everyone up who's got a connection, even a distant connection, to the Japanese government and we've got to keep them contained so that they can't be part of any plot. So it was this kind of hysteria of maybe this, literally it reminds me, well, maybe I shouldn't say literally, but it, it does remind me of like the underwear bomber, right? So this thing happened once and then out of a concern that it might happen, like this guy had in his underwear, he had, you know, explosives kind of laced in the, the elastic band around his underwear. And so now what happened after that? The TSA started, you know, putting their fingers down everyone's pants to kind of feel under your underwear. And then later we got the big body scanners so that they could kind of scan everything. Or you had the shoe bomber, right? You had the, the shoe bomber. He had explosives in his shoe going through the airport and was caught. And, uh, and, and so what happens now? Everyone's got to take their shoes off and send them through the scanner unless you're TSA pre-check and you've paid for your extortion fee to <laughs> be able to, to fly without having to take your shoes off but the point is that this thing happens once and then the government politicians they get all scared oh maybe it'll happen again so let's let's restrict everyone's freedom just so that we can make sure that type of thing doesn't happen again and so here it was with the japanese attack and then they said oh we don't want that to happen again we don't want the japanese to 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 get us and so let's corral them all up let's throw them all in this prison but there was no evidence at all that there was any spying, that there was any saboteurs, people trying to, you know, plant bombs or cause problems for the government. And so you had, as you pointed out, Brittany, all these kids there, I mean, entire families. Um, and, and it was so discriminatory. It was so racially motivated. And I don't know, it's, it's such a dark chapter of our history to see yeah. that, that even citizens of the United States can have their constitutionally protected freedoms 
suspended. It just shows you that during times of emergency or crisis, the government is all too willing to clamp down on your freedom. We certainly saw that throughout COVID. And so it's yet another example of, of why during so-called emergencies and crises, we need to be even more alert. We need to be more aware because that is when these power-hungry politicians will try to exert their influence. We have only scratched the surface of this particular story. There is so much more. There were so many of these camps across the country. It was fascinating being in Hawaii and seeing how people in Hawaii there, they, they basically had martial law for, I think it was like two or three years. Hmm. Um, and, and so the military ruled, you know, the whole island and people had curfews and all these things. So uh, fascinating story here. If this has been new to you or you're curious about this, uh, there's documentaries, there's YouTube videos, there's books, there's online articles, you know, go start researching the Japanese internment. Because again, the point is let's learn from the past so that we don't uh, repeat it again. Brittany, as always, great talking to you. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.